0: Morning. Uh, A terrific test of your faith would be if you were willing to handle venomous, not poisonous, venomous snakes and uh, have them not bite you. Why is that? There are some who do that, correct? I don't know why, they're usually in West Virginia. (coughs) Oh, okay. I I don't know if we have any West Virginia listeners, but... um, Sorry. Uh, Anyway, Mark 16, 17 and 18. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. That the apostles did. They will pick up serpents and they will drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Mark 16, 17 and 18. It's right there in the Gospel. So, <clears throat> yeah, for my visual prop, my granddaughter, Mag, grand I meant grand, <laughs> not granddaughter. Kind of, a lot of people think she is my granddaughter. But granddaughter, she is grand, exactly. Yeah, so that actually handle, right? And I've I read, i meant to look it up. I know there's stats on this where sometimes they survive. I know it wasn't that long ago where somebody, he got bit and he died. And I'm sure the whole congregation were like, well, I knew it. He didn't have faith, you know. He didn't have faith. And so, um, yeah. So, the in a more modern translation, that passage that I just read is in brackets. Not just that, but, <coughs> excuse me, from Mark sixteen nine through 20 is in brackets. And the reason being... Is because it's not in most translations. Uh, It's just not there, but it's in some. So this this is another part of what we're going to see today is how do we interpret Scripture is that, um, you know, in some cases we, we want to make sure that we're not thinking that something that was added by a copyist some hundreds of years ago was added to this and has made it into your English translation, that that is from God. And there's a lot of scholarly work done on the end of the Gospel of Mark about whether it should be there or it shouldn't, uh, and especially when it includes a passage like this, uh, that it shouldn't be there. It's not a part of the original Gospel of Mark. So, you don't have to handle snakes unless they're beanie baby snakes. <clears throat> so no didn't notice it? you can see it I put a skull crossman. Yeah, <laughs> Maggie laugh thanks Mags yeah I don't drink poison either I think they do that as well you keep a doctor on the premises anyway uh <clears throat> As far as I don't think I have announcements, announcement wise, I guess I, I would recommend uh, or suggest again the Zoom meeting that we gather together on Mondays at 3, 3 o'clock our time. Uh, we're really ramping up the book of Revelation, we're all kind of really getting into the book of Revelation. So, uh <clears throat> yeah, if you, want, if you want to join us and, and learn a bit about Revelation, then please do. Uh, other than that, oh, I would mention, too, uh, 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 the prayer group. I think I mentioned it last week. Yeah, the, you've got a group of people praying for you that was suggested by somebody. Super glad you suggested that, Karen. Uh, that we, we created this list uh, on, uh, in text messaging in which we all pray. And, uh, you know, it's awesome to see someone in the community, in our community, or who are related to or friends of or in that community, get on this prayer list. And then everybody on that list, they range all the way to to the United Kingdom, are on that day praying for you or for whoever. And uh, it's marvelous. And it's great to know that, you know, I know that there are a a bunch of people praying for the things that you want prayed for. So I suggest it, please, if you... Uh, have a prayer request? You can just get in touch with me or um, anybody on that list. <laughs> so let's uh, let's open up in prayer ourselves and be grateful and thankful for God's word. We're going to move on today into the second temptation of Christ. There's a lot to learn there, and uh, and so you know the reason why we're here to learn this, these things is the same for the same reason that Christ did learn them and was able to use them uh, in his spiritual life just like we are. Uh, Our Lord depended on the word of God, and so that's why we're here to do this. So with humility and reverence, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for all you are and all you have done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have life in him, uh, salvation in him. You have made us your new creation through him, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, He's paid for our sins and we're forgiven. On and on, the great blessings flow. On top of it all, you exhibit him in a life that is exhibited on the pages of Scripture and the Gospels in which we can see him walk in and live the life you've given us. So not only do we have the life, we have the one, the One, the only one who ever had it naturally to model it for us. And so as we look to his life, Father, and we know that we are to be like him. Help us to see how we can do that and why it is so wonderful and important. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all rise, please. Bye-bye.
1: Now I see grace that's all
0: Alright, we're going to start in Matthew 4. We're going to start the second temptation in verse 5. (coughs) So, the first uh, temptation by the devil fails, and there's a new strategy now. uh, And he takes, whether he takes Jesus physically to the top of the temple or in some kind of vision, we don't know. Uh, But. He takes him to the top of the, the temple. The question is the same, uh, with a challenge, really, uh, if you are the Son of God. And uh, to me, he's not thinking that, that Christ would ever question his identity as the Son of God. And therefore, to me, the temptation is of the same manner. And I, I emphasize when I say to me, that's going to be the first half of our lesson today is uh, when it comes to interpretation, if things are not entirely clear, well, there's going to be differences of opinion. Some may think, and there's a lot who think that, that Satan's taking him up there and saying, throw yourself down so that Jesus will display himself to Israel too early. You know, like, so if he jumps down... And the angels hold him up, and he's at the temple and there's all these people around they're going to say, "Wow look at you you're the you may be the messiah and that may be true I don't agree with that completely, but you know if that's true that's true and that's great that's great but uh uh we're, and we we'll get to that but to me it's more of the manner of If you are the Son of God, first off, why are you hungry in the wilderness, right? You know, what is the Father's plan for you? You're hungry in the wilderness alone for 40 days with, and this is the first that you get the Spirit anoints you, and this is the first thing that the Father does for you? Like, does this make any sense? Why don't you just use who you are as the Son of God and make food for yourself? make, Make stones into bread. And now it's, you know, uh, why, if you're the son of God, why do you live by faith? I mean, why, do you, why are you like all the rest of these schmucks on planet earth, which I'm sure that's how Satan views us, the rest of these cockroaches down here who have to depend on God by faith without seeing... They, they have to wait and be patient, and they don't know, you know, what's going to happen. and that, Well, that makes sense for them, because they're idiots. But you, you're the Son of God. Why are you waiting in faith? You shouldn't have to wait. Shouldn't you live by sight? Right? kind of gets to the name it and claim it. Shouldn't you live by sight? A miraculous man you are. Shouldn't you have a miraculous life? And he certainly does. But in this case where he's, uh, where he reveals, his test here shows that, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. You know, he, he does his miracles when he does them to show his authority, to show who he is. But in this case, he's not going to test God or tempt God. Um, and, and so he is going to be completely human, and because he is. He's not going to be. He is. Now, take this to you and me, as we'll see where our application goes from here. If you're a child of heaven, and you are, if you're a believer, you're a child of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says that you are a citizen of heaven. And if you're a child of heaven and a citizen of heaven, shouldn't you have a miraculous life? And, what I, and you, the answer to that is yes. But what I mean is, shouldn't you be able to just say, God, I need a million dollars, and bam, it should be there. God, I need a miracle, and bam, it should be here. I just got a report that I got cancer. God, take away my cancer, and it's gone. And now I pick up Thank you, God, for that. And I pick up my glass of poison and drink it. Because why? I'm a miraculous being. If I have faith, I live above all you schmucks. Don't I? But do I? No. I don't. I'm a fellow schmuck. And I ain't going to drink poison because I'm going to die like anybody else who does it. I'm not above it all, am I? You know, we think, uh, I think the great movies that kind of depict this, like Star Wars, you're technically a Jedi. You are. Uh, Not in the same way. How about uh, in Lord of the Rings? You're technically Gandalf. But really, Tolkien, who knows his Bible, who knew his Bible, made us hobbits. That's who we are in the story, by the way. We're the hobbits. We got nothing besides, uh, you know, what a, what a, if you know the, mo- or the book, you know, Frodo and Sam, uh, Frodo, is that his name? Yeah. Uh, and Sam, what, what they have is perseverance and faith. They got nothing else going for them. And the whole everything depends upon them. So look at Matthew 4, 5. The devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And when he the same verb tense is used here as when he said turn the stones into bread, it's an imperative. I, I gather from this that Satan says throw yourself down. It's a command. And it's, I think to me, like Satan uses this kind of Commanding language that when he tempts us, it doesn't come across as iffy. It comes across as you got to do this, right? The world says no, no, no. You have to do this. The flesh says, "No, this isn't me. Maybe you should. Maybe you shouldn't. You better do this." And we know from uh, even there's some awesome psychological studies that have been done on this. That if somebody who is an authority figure starts bossing you around, most people will do what they say, even though they don't, you know, even even if the thing that they tell you to do is wrong, and you know it's wrong, but they're an authority figure, so I should do it. There's a, I'll read it for you sometime this week, but there's a great study that was done on that where um, at a college they had students zapping others with electrical charges when they got answers wrong. And the people on the other side of the screen were screaming like they were, but they were actors. But they were like, if they get the answer wrong, you press that button. And if they get it wrong again, you turn up the voltage and hit it again. And if they get it wrong a third time, turn up the voltage more and hit it again. And people are like, should I? And the person on the other side of the screen is going, ah, you know, they're screaming. And they're like, well, the man in the white coat. Told me to press the button, so I gotta. I follow authority. Was one uh, years ago. I thought about this in reference to this uh, concept. Me and my friend Scott were at the courthouse. Uh, I won't tell. One of us was a witness and one of us was a defendant. I won't tell you who was who. Uh, I was a defendant, (coughs) by the way. But uh, anyway, yeah, I got in trouble in the past. But I was, I, you know, I, when I show up to a court, even as someone who uh, may, have, may or may not have been guilty, uh, I dressed in a, a jacket and a tie. And my, Scott, who went with me, was in a jacket and a tie. And twice somebody came up to us and thought we were lawyers and asked us if we could help them out. Because we were the only people there in jacket and ties. You know, all the rest of the criminals show, or, or alleged criminals, you know, show up in their sweatpants and their PJs or whatever, you know. So you wear the clothes, people think, right? So what does Satan do here? Throw yourself down. It's a command. Do it. But because Jesus quoted Scripture the first time, Satan is going to quote Scripture. This tells us that Satan knows the Bible, by the way. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Psalm 91. And and by the way, a beautiful psalm. We're going to read it and you're going to love it. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Exactly right. So he quotes Deuteronomy again, Deuteronomy 6.16. And Jesus, knowing his scripture, knows the context of this passage, which the context of this passage is Israel in the wilderness after the Red Sea when they come across the bitter waters and they wonder if God is in their midst. And, uh, And they did. They tested him. They tested God. And Jesus is in the wilderness where he is in want, and he is not going to test God. So, does the scripture say this? Well, it most absolutely does. It's in Psalm 91, 11 through 12. So, let's go there, because we're going to be there soon anyway, roughly. Go to uh, Psalm 91. If you if you haven't yet become a reader of the Psalms, I have lacked on this in my spiritual life, uh, and not so much anymore because I've discovered the beauty of them. Yeah, uh, the most quoted book in the New Testament, the Psalms. Um, How often did our Lord quote Psalms? He lived by them. They're they're and what's awesome they're. Standing alone, each one, we'll discover this in the future, that actually there's a pattern to the entire book, and we're going to want to learn that. But <clears throat> when you're reading one particular psalm, you know, you've know you got a fairly short, if it's not one of the super long ones, like Psalm 119 or something, but you've got something fairly short that's that you can, in and of itself, you don't have to worry about outside context. Like, am I missing something here? No, if you've got that whole psalm, you can read it and discover it. And it's, And I, I recommend when you read it, this is God's songbook, his playlist, if you will. They're selected, 150 of them. They're selected. They're limited. There was way more poems and psalms in Israel than 150. But God chose these 150. And they're written to you. They're God's songs to you. And so when you read them, you should read them. Don't, don't read them to say, well, I should know this, and you should. Or, I mean, primarily, don't read them for the sake of knowledge or for the sake of teaching or for the sake of sharing. And God Almighty, don't do it for the sake of gloating to others that you know the Bible. But read them to know God first. So, uh, verses 11 and 12, here they are. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against the stone. So that's what he quotes. But look at the next line. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample down. And I bet those dudes in West Virginia who are nursing their snake bites know that passage and apply it in the same way. I'm actually going to walk on them. I've never heard anybody putting themselves in a cage with a lion. It says here you're going to tread on lions. So why don't you test your faith that that way? That's probably not going to happen. So, what do we have here first before we get into, and we're going to go through this kind of quickly, but it's, it's, Jesus, Satan says to Jesus, look, you're going to live by the scripture. I can see that. You as the son of man, son of God, you're going to live your life by the scripture. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of Christians who have come to that realization that they're going to live by the scripture that they have to they've come to the realization that the scripture is inspired by God uh, actually not all but they know at least that this Bible is a holy document and that they're going to live by it and so Satan's attack against those people and against us is not the he's not going to stop you from looking at it and we call that observation. He's not going to stop you from looking at it. But so what he can do is distort your interpretation of it. And if, if the interpretation is distorted, because by the way, once we observe and we interpret, we're not done yet. Those two things are headed towards a goal. And you must always keep this in mind that we're applying this to our own lives. That's the final step is once you read and observe, you interpret properly, and then you live it. And you ask the question, how does this apply to me? Me, not everybody else. Me, how does this apply to me? And by the way, you'll never be a teacher of God's Word. And I don't mean a pastor. I mean all of us are to be witnesses and teachers of God's Word to the people around us. If you don't apply it to yourself first, you'll be no teacher. You'll just be a voice, but you'll really be no teacher. You've got to live this, and then you'll teach it. You'll teach it wonderfully. This passage in Hebrews 5 where the writer of Hebrews says to them, you guys should all be teachers by now, but you're not. And so I need to give you milk again like a baby because you should have already been past this. And when he says, you know, you should have been teachers by now, it means that they should have already understood and learned and lived the scriptures that he was speaking to them. But they had neglected it. No, they weren't teachers at all. So this whole thing. Now, so what we're looking at is interpretation. So it's observation and then interpretation. This is you know near and dear to my heart because this is basically 90% of my job, maybe more is interpretation. And interpretation is, well, sorry, not yet. Sorry, this is the idea of the passage. I got ahead of myself. Tell I'm excited about it. Those who know that they should live by the Scripture will be tempted with false interpretations that lead to false application. And you can kind of see that picture, but it's uh, an artist's rendition of, you know, he's got Jesus at the top of the temple and he says, throw yourself down. Uh, <clears throat> it's a wrong interpretation of Psalm 91. It's completely wrong. And one of the key rules to this interpretation is context. That's one of the key things. I, I took a, I took a class on hermeneutics last semester, and I have three very involved textbooks on that. And I've read all three of them, and... The main thing in all three are context. All right? If you if you see a verse, you think, "Well, I think I know what this means." If you're not exactly sure, read before it and read after it. Go back, go back quite a bit and read. I know people don't like to read anymore, but uh, you know, even online, you can have it read for you. You can. There's all kinds of stuff out there. Uh, the group on our our uh, Zoom group, they, there's a few of them that have, have really come to love. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's acted out with uh, actors doing the voices. Uh, it's audio. It's not video, but it, it's the Bible being read but acted. And it's got like uh, in the background... Um, yeah, dramatized. Thank you, um, is Ken. Is it? Uh, yeah, you're right. You like it. Excellent. Do you remember what it's called, Kathy? What's that? Do you remember what it's called? No, but I can show you on my phone. Yeah, nice. Well, if you want to know what it is, see Kathy. You can. It's not that expensive either. Oh, it's free. If you have, uh, yeah, if you have the, it's an Amazon thing, right? No. Oh. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, go see Kathy. She's got the free one. I was gonna I was gonna charge you for it.
1: <laughs>
0: None of these proceeds go to me though. Uh yeah, and I I find so before and after, that's my point. Context. You've gotta know the context of what is going on. To pluck one scripture out and build a doctrine on it is called proof texting. It's it's a terrible thing to do. So this is the study of hermeneutics. Wow, right? Just think of the word Herman. I think Herman Munster is the only Herman I know, or Pee Wee. <laughs> Both ridiculous, but uh, that's how I remember the word. It comes from the Greek word "huminu" which means to interpret. Okay, so it's a fancy way of saying interpretation. And what hermeneutics is is the science and and please. Uh, this is also true, and I say this because a lot of people don't see it like an art. It's an art. I say, well, I'm not a talented artist. When it comes to Scripture, you are, because you've got the Holy Spirit within you. Now, to become an artist, it takes time, does it not? Nobody's born a great artist. Some people have exceptional talent, but they all worked at it. Well, Michelangelo and all those guys, Da Vinci, they worked hard at, at their craft. But we don't have to be Da Vinci's in biblical interpretation. We just have to put the time in. The time in is at church. You know, Your pastor is to help you with this. But also your own reading. You mean, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm supposed to just come to church on Sundays and do my thing, and then all's good, right? You want me to read my Bible? Aren't I, I going to get it wrong? Sometimes you are. So this, uh, there's a story I read in one of my, um, I forget what book it was in, but uh, some Dwight L. Moody. Many of you know uh, Moody. It was huge impact Christianity. This woman in his church went up to him and said, uh, Pastor Moody, when I read the Bible, I, there's, I just don't get it. Right? I'm not understanding it. And, and uh, so I, I can't read my Bible. Pastor Moody said to her, do you eat chicken? And she was like, whatever. She's like, look, when I read my Bible, I don't get it. He's like, oh, no, 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 I understand. I understand. I know your question. Do you eat chicken? And she says, well, yeah, I eat chicken. He said, what do you do with the bones? She said, well, I take them out and I put them on the side of the plate. And he said, exactly. Now, when you come across something that you don't understand, like a chicken bone, put it aside. But there's tons of meat in here that you're going to thoroughly enjoy. So keep eating. And we'll get to the bones. Now, it's not a pure hermeneutical principle because we're going to keep digging and maybe those bones that we set aside a year ago like boom you start to understand oh that's wonderful stuff it's wonderful because the word of god is infinite we're going to spend our whole lives doing this but if something you don't understand put it aside it is an art it is guided by the rules within a system And it is an art because it's an application of the rules. Application of the rules is by skill. It's not mechanical. But in some ways it is mechanical. I have to know context. There's there's a few things that I have to know. But mostly context. Uh, And that's from a book, Introduction to Biblical Hermeneutics. So what does the scripture say? What does it mean and how does it apply to me? What is this saying? What does it mean? And how does it apply to me? It's not just for pastors. This is my job. This is what I do. And I love doing it. But this is for all of us. All of us are to become good at the, the art and the mechanics of hermeneutics. Psalm 1. You're in Psalms, right? Go back to Psalm 1. Come on, Job, get out of the way. Poor Job. Psalm 1. Look at Psalm 1 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So this is what he doesn't do. Now, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are the introduction to God's playlist. These two psalms summarize the whole Psalter. They do. summarize the whole thing. Every psalm, their psalms fall into separate categories. They all fit here. And the psalm we're going to see today is a psalm of, uh, of, of faithfulness, a psalm of the faithfulness of God. So it's more, it would fall in the category of a royal psalm. It's glorifying the royalty, the faithfulness, the awesomeness of God. So, what he doesn't do, blessed is the man who does not stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That's a very deep relationship with God's word, day and night. That doesn't mean I have to be reading it all day, but in everything I do depends upon God's message to me. I mean, it makes perfect sense. God has used the written word to communicate with me and you, and So, therefore, in everything I do should be based upon principles that are here, which means I'm doing my whole life based upon the principles of my creator, the creator of good, the righteous one, the holy one, of course. And so I meditate on it day and night. Notice the promise. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. And there's another great line for the, well, aren't I a miraculous creature? Aren't I a citizen of heaven? Therefore, everything I do should prosper. So right after class, I'm going to go on whatever website does trading on Wall Street, and I'm going to pick some stocks. Right? I'm going to invest. Whatever I do is going to prosper. So why not throw myself off a temple? And and common sense wise, we're like, well, I know that it's not everything I do prospers. So maybe God means something else by the word prosper than what I think it means. And that actually would be very true. So there's. A bunch of reasons for wrong interpretation. And this is what we call failed, the failed hermeneutic. All right, I'm just going to run these at you quick because I'm running out of time here. Not believing the text is inspired or historical. There's a lot that don't think, uh, especially in my work in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a lot of people I've come across who don't think it's historical, You know that they're these are stories made up by the apostles or his disciples to teach principles but they're not it didn't really happen you know and there's a lot of especially in modern biblical scholarship there's a lot of progressive liberal not believing the miracles not believing this's been around for a long time that people don't believe the miracles or the narrative that it's actually historical and that will retard your hermeneutic Allowing allegorical interpretation, let's uh, turn it back to the, the rabbis did this a whole bunch, um, and still happens in a lot with a lot of people that we're not going to take it literally. Uh, eschatology is ruined by this, meaning the, the doctrines of the end times, that <clears throat> you know when, Christ, when it's a thousand years, well, it's not really a thousand years. When his kingdom is on earth, no, nah, it doesn't really mean that. Uh, you know, he died for all. Well, all doesn't really mean all. You know, it's that kind of thing. And then you end up with bad interpretation. Uh, pre understanding. This is a big one. I come to the Bible with my preconceived notions. I already know the truth and what God says, so uh, I'm going to find it there. It's a pride thing, but we all have it. None of us are going to 100% get rid of our biases. We all have them. I've seen mine over the years, and there was one, one that was a pretty uh, significant one that God has changed recently. And I think back to some things that I taught in the past, and I'm like, yeesh, that wasn't really right. <laughs> but I recognize, I had a bias. I had a bias in a particular thing that was ingrained in me because of ex- certain experiences that I went through. And those are my experiences. Your experiences are not going to be the same as mine, and so your biases that have been you know, wheel-tracked into your brain are going to be different than mine. So what should we do about that? We're, we're all going to keep digging and learning, and we're going to change, and all along the way we should fight with one another. Uh, not. I'm being ironical. But that's what people do. They fight with one another. And for what reason? There's, there's no find it in your Bible. It says you should fight with the person that disagrees with you, like Jesus did. Right? Again, I'm being sarcastic. The desire to make the Bible say what you already think. Uh, that's kind of the same as the other one. You know, I I know I know what it says. I know the truth. I know what it means to me. And people will say this. I'll highlight this for a little bit. What this verse means to me. Now, I I will say that, but I am also saying to you that, you know, there's other interpretations out there. But as I'm trying my best to interpret, yes, I this is what I think the passage is getting at. But some people do this for, like, for almost everything. Even the, you know, the very... <coughs> I quote Al, I quoted Alistair Begg about a week ago. The main things are the plain things because the plain things are the main things. That's <laughs> what he says it over and over. He says it a lot, except with an awesome Scottish accent, which I wish I had. But the, you know, he said, "I'm teaching you plain stuff because that's the main stuff in the Bible. The main and the main stuff in the Bible is plain." So the word for this is perspicuity, and perspicuity means that you and I can understand what God is saying, that you don't need to carry around a Bible scholar with you everywhere you go. And when you open the Bible, you don't need a Bible scholar at your elbow helping you to interpret it. Again, if you come across a bone, spit it out and leave it there and keep going and enjoy it. This is God's love letter to you. Taking passages out of context, it's proof proof texting. Cultural, historical, language misunderstandings. This one's more minor, but it comes up from time to time. Sometimes you'll read in the scripture, it actually has its root is in maybe Jewish culture in the first century uh, or maybe there's a Greek-to-English issue, and they're pretty rare. They're there, but they're, they're pretty rare. For the most part, we can understand it in, the, in a good English translation. And I know I've got, if you're trying to write these down, I apologize. They are in the notes, but for time. Uh, then there's literature type. Like we just read a psalm, which is poetry. Poetry is different than narrative. Poetry is different than prose. Poetry is different than wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is usually in those couplets. It looks like poetry, but it's actually not. They're two-lined. Uh, sometimes they're opposite. Sometimes they parallel each other. There's all kinds of types. Beautiful proverbs. And our our psalm, the psalm 91 that uh, Satan is uh, quoting, is proverbial. It's got that, if you love me, awesome things are going to happen for you. In Psalm 91, it says, there'll be 10,000 people dying of plague all around you, and you'll be standing untouched. So go to a leper colony, but most people do not do not contract leprosy. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Go to an Ebola ward in a hospital and be like, I'm a believer. It's not going to infect me. You'll be dead. So what does he mean by that? And there's other principles here, too, that's going to help us with that. That's the other thing, and I think this is my last one, the Bible is a human and a divine book. It is written by people. They didn't go to sleep and then wake up with their pen in their hand and go, wow, look at that. I wrote the Gospel of John. Good job, John. Now, his whole heart is into that. Does that mean it's flawed? Not Not a word. Inspired by God. But with a human twist. Hence all four Gospels. They're different. They're, the first three are, have a lot of similarities. That's why they're called synoptics, sino meaning same. But And then the Gospel of John is very different. But if you look at the other Gospels, they don't match completely. In some way, it says, well, I'm quoting Jesus here, and then uh, Luke quotes Jesus, and the same exact thing, and Luke says something different than what Matthew said. You know, they like, well, do we have the quotes of Jesus or not? I don't, want to, I don't want to know that stuff. I just want to read my Bible, which I agreed. I've seen, too, and I've heard this from other scholars, that when people get, I shouldn't say this, I shouldn't say this, because when you tell somebody that you can get too scholarly and you can, you can get so wrapped up in the details that you lose you lose it, you lose your mind. And then, But some, when you tell that to people, people will be like, well, that's. <laughs> I'm not going to read my Bible. I don't want to become an insane scholar. You need to spend like 12 hours a day to become the insane scholar in this with language and all of that, right? Spending like a half hour, an hour a day in your Bible or in Bible class is not going to make, it's going to be, it's what we're called to do. Psalm 1 and others. He said it to Joshua, the same wording meditate on. He said, Joshua, be strong and courageous, meditate on this day and night. The, my word. Every king of Israel was to make their own copy. They were to write their own copy of the scripture and then meditate on it day and night. God said, I want you to write it out first. Now, sometimes past this kind of thing is harmless. So take Nahum. I know we're all Nahum scholars in here, right? Nahum 2.4 says, The chariots race madly in the streets. They rush wildly in the squares. Their appearance is like torches. They dash to and fro like lightning flashes. So, a lot of scholars interpret this as the prophecy of automobiles. Yeah, there they are. That's you, except for that lady in front of me who's not dashing like madly in the streets. I wish she'd give it a little gas, honey. Rushing wildly in the squares. Now, is Nahum prophesying gas-powered cars or electric cars? No, uh, probably not. But if you take that interpretation, you're not hurting anybody or hurting yourself. How about this one in 1 Corinthians eleven three 3-15? That if a woman doesn't have her head covered, it's a shame to her. So, you ladies need to be wearing hats in church. That's how it's interpreted in some denominations. That you would never go to church without a hat. Is that what he means? Brigham Young had over 30 wives... Talk about trouble in your tent. 30 wives. He justified it because Abraham had more than one wife. And Jacob. Like, I can have more than one wife. Abraham did. All right, Brigham. The main hermeneutical uh, principle is context. So, a famous one, right? James 2.17 Even so, faith, if it it has no works, is dead being by itself. So salvation is not by faith. It is by faith and works. All right, but that's proof texting. What you need is the whole book. And it's not very long. You can read it in 15 minutes. And when you read James in the context, you will see that James does not at all mean... Your salvation, he's writing to believers who are being, or, or facing heavy trials and suffering. And that, yes, all of us should have works. And if we have faith without works, then it is, in James' words, uses it as a death. But does it mean I'm going to the lake of fire? Uh, no. But then there's another principle here that helps us with this, and it's what Jesus does. What if I only, do I only have the book of James? What if I do read the book of James and I come to the conclusion that, yeah, salvation's not by faith in Christ, it's faith and works. I've got to work for my salvation. Well, you know, fortunately, you don't have just the book of James. So when Satan quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus wrong, with the wrong application, Jesus' response is not to go through Psalm 91 and show Satan its context and to try and get him to understand in a hermeneutical way what that passage means. He quotes another passage. And Satan could say, well, wait a minute. I'm quoting Psalms. You're quoting Deuteronomy. That's apples and oranges. But it's not. Because it's all God's word. And that's what Jesus brings out here. Scripture interprets scripture. Martin Luther said that too. John Calvin, they all did. All the reformers. And and not just the reformers. There were some excellent medieval theologians um, who were not of a religious legalistic type. Like most people think the medieval, you know, the medieval time was just filled with a bunch of nincompoops who just were all legalistic and knew no science or anything, right? Uh, "Quote unquote dark ages." It's not really like that. Plenty of great. Uh, some of my favorite writers are Catholic theologians. I don't agree with everything they write, but, but boy, they put their heart into it. You know, like there's, there's things the way that they say them. I was turned on to another uh, author in one of my courses. Uh, he's a graduate of Dallas. His last name's Boa, B-O-A, and uh, he's got a book on this course that I'm taking on. Uh, it's really about spiritual growth, and he wrote this. This book is amazing. He's writing the same. You would, if you read the first few chapters of this book. I'm only a little ways in. You would, yeah, you know all that stuff. But I, it's just the way that he says it. Because he's different. His viewpoint, a little bit different. I was like, you know, I never worded it like that before. And, you know, why does that help us? And the body of Christ is to be helping one another, right? We're to communicate with one another and share with one another like brothers and sisters in a family, which we are. Now everybody. Now I have. I'm one of five. And they ain't like me. So, in some ways they are, in some ways they're not. Uh, various levels of understanding. Uh, some very educated. Some not so much. A few of us have been in jail. Some have not. <laughs> Uh, and yet we're a family, right? There's love there. Uh, do you think that's a mistake that God makes this body of Christ, and He calls it a family, brothers and sisters, and Jesus is our brother, and God is our fa- God, the Father is our Father, Jesus is our head. And yet in in our biological families we have this you know, situation of difference, Um, you know, and yet we have to love one another, at least we should, forgive one another, deal with one another, sometimes, yeah, we have to separate from one another. Now, I don't think it's a mistake, because I know in the body of Christ that there are all kinds of differences, people at different levels of understanding, people coming from different backgrounds. Uh, people of a different kind of thinking. Now, for most of us, now don't take this the wrong way, but most of us are cataphatic. I didn't say catatonic. Cataphatic. Now, cataphatic means that you love the revealed God in the Scripture. Now, there's another kind. They're on the opposite spectrum. They're called apophatic. And apathetic are those who love the mystery of God. And in the scripture, we have both. We have parts of God that no one understands. And there are people who love that. They live there. And then there's, there's other scriptures in the Bible that show God revealed. And we're generally on that side. Actually, most of American Christianity is on that side. And uh, the apathetics Fight. With the cataphatics. And the cataphatics need a little more apophatic. And the apophatics need a little more cataphatic. We should be somewhere more in the balanced middle. You know, where the, the people who see the mystery of God spend, you know, something like quiet time meditating on just God himself. What does he mean to me? So that's not Bible. I think it is. I think it is. And I think a lot of cataphatic are missing that. And it should be included. Spend some time, just some quiet time, meditating on God, with it, maybe with his word in front of you. <clears throat> it's not going to turn you into a crazy holy roller or anything. Now, I, wow, talk about bad timing here. I really thought I had the timing right on this. And I did not. So I didn't even get to Psalm 91. Um, so, let's see. Yeah, so I guess I would close with this and then we'll take our offering. I mean, uh, we'll do our Lord's Supper. When you find yourself thinking that you should fight with or vehemently disagree with another believer. I mean, even if it is an unbeliever, you are to be a witnesser to them. And if it's an unbeliever, it disagrees with you on something, which I know it hurts our pride, but that's your eternal brother and sister. And in your own family, there's differences. And if that person has, needs time to grow... How are, how are those who know or who are strong in the Scripture to treat those who are weak in the Scripture? Romans 14, I, I had it in my notes here. I have time to get to it. Romans 14 is, is your ticket. i will tell you exactly how to do so. Uh, and so, how do we deal with one another? And uh, that comes out of this hermeneutics. So Jesus isn't going to jump. I don't want to spoil the surprise for you, but he's not. And he's going to quote Deuteronomy again. You don't tempt the Lord. And so all this week, we'll look at Deuteronomy, and we'll look back at this passage and put them together, and we've got a bit more work to do on this. So let's pass out this morning's elements, and we'll celebrate our Lord's Supper. I need to turn to Psalm 91. I think I'll use it for... All right, I, I know I'm short of time here. apologize for that. But just first stanza, Psalm 91, before we take it elements, just to, to get a feel for this beautiful psalm. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. <clears throat> his faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. <clears throat> and it continues. Uh, highly recommend it that you uh, go through it a few times. <clears throat> Our Lord came to earth to give us this confidence. But does it mean that we'll never suffer? Does it mean that we'll never have trouble? Well, all of us are in this room are old enough to know if that's the case, then we're not believers, obviously. But <clears throat> it's not true. And it's because God is getting into our thick skulls that what he calls prosperity is not what most, of, I do not say most of us, but many, almost all the earth thinks it is. It's not what God defines as prosperity. To him, prosperity is that when the tribulation comes, you do walk on lions. Meaning, you're above the trouble because you have love and you have patience and you have joy and you trust and you know the Lord is going to deliver. And even if I die, I'll be delivered unto heaven to be face to face with my Lord. I fear nothing. And that's what he says here. You won't fear a thing. Because why? Because you're so smart or you're so great or you're so handsome or whatever? No. it's Because I trust. What do we say? My refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So in Jesus, who on his darkest hour trusted, he said, I'm using Matthew's account, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. So in honor of our Lord and thankfulness, let's eat the bread. And well, then he took the cup, and he had given, uh, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them. He said, drink, of the, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. <clears throat> That's more than an invitation. That's a guarantee. That you and I, all believers, are going to drink the most fantastic, fabulous wine with our Lord in his kingdom. And because of his work on the cross, we're forgiven of all sins. In honor of him, let's drink the cup. This um, finished work of our Lord is our confidence his resurrection is our confidence and so as we continue to learn god's word the reality of him becomes more real to us and it changes us in incredible ways as you know all right let's uh let's uh actually let's have our offering and then we'll we'll close in prayer Thank you, Grant. You know, one of the things that, uh, as we, this is another area of trust. um, Where God promises prosperity, are we all promised to be millionaires? Or are we, uh, even the church, is it promised to always have an abundance of money in the bank account? And the answer is no. And God will test us. And where if the finances get low in yourself or in the church, we're just going to keep going because of the promise. I don't have to look at the bank account. I have to look at the word and the word says, if you trust me and do my will, it's all going to work out marvelously for you. It's a promise. Let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for opportunity to give to you. We do as your servants. And we ask, Father, that you bless this offering to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. In prayer, we thank you, Father, for our gathering and for all that you have blessed us with through Christ our Lord. Thank you for his temptations that we can see. Thank you for your word that is transcendent above all ages, but yet is understandable to us through your spirit. How blessed we are. For those who are listening to me who are not blessed in this way because you have rejected Christ as your Savior I'm here to tell you that Christ is your Savior. If you rejected Him in the past, He's still offering Himself to you as your Savior and always will. But today is your day of salvation. Believe upon Him and you will be saved. He, in gracious love, not my love, not anybody else's love, His, He has come and died for your sins. And He raised again on the third day to show, and not only to show, but because He is victorious over all sin and over death. Believe upon him and you will be saved. Thank you, Father, and thank you for all things in Christ's name. Amen.